Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's happening? No whining and dining of me. He calls me up. He's like, let's go. And we just go. Let's do this. Yeah, let's uh, do it. Apologies to everyone. I have been under the weather. I got a end of the season cold, uh, wiped me out over the last forty eight hours. So, um, just gonna take it a little slow here. We got we got some some news. We don't need a guest because there's just way too much to talk about. Uh, we've been in this situation before, Kings fans. You know exactly what's happened. George Carl has been relieved of his duties as a head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Aaron, what are your initial thoughts on? the George Carl era and the way this this thing kind of unfolded here? Uh, not surprising. I mean, if you follow the team the last couple months that he's been like, go, obviously we've been talking about it on this cast for months and um, just a big disappointment because I think that, you know, when he came in, he had the support of Pete D'Alessandro. He made his decisions based on thinking he had that support. And then what he probably didn't realize or didn't care to uh, realize was that, Pete's support had all but eroded. He he walked into a, a landmine of traps, and he didn't have the juice that he thought he had, and he made a massive mistake in trying to move DeMarcus Cousins without organizational support, and they tried to ram that through. That set the tone the wrong way, and then I think he had a fair shot at this season, um, but if you come in and you're not flexible with your, your basketball principles and they turn out to be bad and you make really bad coaching decisions – the writing's on the wall. You're going to get let go because you're not going to win. And so a lot of folks are saying, well, good for both sides. You know, if you make your bed, you got to lay in it. George is a good guy. I think that he um, is a basketball lifer and he, you know, he's, he's not doing this out of malice. He's doing it out of stubbornness. Um, but if it's your own stubbornness that leads to your downfall, there's not a lot that I'm going to feel bad, you know, for in terms of George Carl you know, being like, oh, it's not like I think he got dealt an unfair hand here. Yeah, that's a, that's very well said, Aaron. Uh, you know what? I think realistically it all hinges on that first couple of weeks on the job. He walked into a situation. He was pitched an idea by a friend, by someone that he had worked with before, and the idea was for him to come in and work with Pete Dallas, uh, Andro. He actually begged for Pete to stay on once they were going to let him go. Uh, it, it was one of those weird situations where, I mean, Pete was supposed to be let go the day after the season ended, just like George was uh, on Thursday, uh, just the year before. And it didn't happen because George had gone to management and said, hey, can we can we keep him on? He wanted an ally. He wanted an ally in the locker room and, and outside in the front office. And Pete was his guy, and, and that was just so short-lived, I, I think. He was sold a false bill of sale, and what I the some of the more frustrating things that keep coming out and keep coming out is that this wasn't like Vivek Ranadive hiring George Carl one hundred percent. This is his guy. 
this plan was pitched to him. This isn't, you know, he didn't go out and seek George Carl. George Carl was brought to him as as an option. And I think it's just really strange how the revisionist history keeps going on and keeps being being sort of expounded in, in some national media stories. But for me, it, it all really came down to the fact that they didn't win those last 30 games if they somehow could have turned the season around and not made the playoffs, but turned the season around and maybe gone, you know, 18 and 12 in the in the last 30 games, then I think Pete had a shot to stay on. But it turned south so fast. I mean, they, they lost quickly and they lost often and and the Kings had no choice but to to pin the blame on someone and and I mean the blame is going to go on the guy who really perpetrated a lot of this and that's Pete and and then George made his own mistakes George walked into that offseason thinking that he I mean he thought he was going to be able to trade DeMarcus no questions asked and when he wasn't he burned a bridge and the one thing about DeMarcus is that he doesn't forget he never ever forgets and as soon as the tie the the times got tough uh you you made your bed you had to lie in it for George Carl and it's it's unfortunate because George is a great of the game um whether he's a good guy or a bad guy you know I have my own opinion but uh you know even like down the stretch here he ended up talking to the media a lot more than he had in the past off the record and you know he even said like hey I used to I used to be cool. I don't know what happened here, but I, I don't know that I'm cool anymore. And I don't know when that happened. But uh, George is George is gone, and now the search begins. Are Are you okay with the way that Vladi Divac handled himself in the press conference on on Thursday? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I haven't seen the video of it. I did catch quite a bit of it through um, some pretty bad internet connection. Um, so I don't have all the specifics and the particulars, but you know, Vlade is in a in a tough spot. He's got warring factions above him in ownership. Mm-hmm. That's probably issue number one for Kings fans to focus on as as what's important. <clears throat> pardon me, coming up this season. So he doesn't necessarily get to make all of the calls the way that he would like to make all of the calls, as we saw when George was kept on halfway through the year. So to that degree. You know, that's something that has to be evaluated going forward. Um, Vlade, though, people don't understand this, is he was brought in to put out a flaming dumpster fire of epic proportions that really you don't see. It, the Maloofs were were doing their relocation thing, but it never even really extended to the court in this fashion. This was a an organization that had so much goodwill from the fans and the public and a clean slate. And then it went kaboom and you bring Vlade in and he is the guy that people trust. He is the guy that, that people know what they're getting from. It's not Vlade, the cap guy. It's not Vlade, the experienced general manager. It is, I need somebody I can trust on the front lines right now. And because the that, fans can trust. And exactly. the fans can trust. Because, yes. Because Pete D'Alessandro was not trustworthy. He wasn't somebody that was trustable. So <clears throat> you needed to make that change and make it quickly because you had all of these important things bearing down. You had just hired George Carl. And the reason those reports are so silly is because multiple sources have provided me evidence that Vivek was very much against 
that hiring and he fought it and fought it and fought it until the very end. And the minority owners were pushing that hire. So this isn't a Vivek hire. This was a Pete D'Alessandro hire. And the chaos of that situation was just, it was boiling over in ways where Ty Corbin knew he was dead man walking. The, the players knew what just had occurred was just unprecedented. And the, the organization was correctly burning and to ask these guys, okay, we well, got to go out and play hard every night. You try working for 20 years at something, getting to the highest level of it, and you've got two to three to five really good years of, of your career. And the ownership decides to just ruin one of those years. Just take it and wipe it right off the board. And so they were correctly upset about that. And that flaming dumpster fire, when you've got minority owners pushing for Carl, when you've got fans in the stands pushing for Carl, you've got everybody in the media pushing for Carl, he eventually gave in. And, and this has nothing to do with this, this, this small segment of the population out there that thinks like, like I'm some sort of Vivek apologist. Vivek is totally complicit with all of the dumpster fire. This is, this is not a Vivek has no role in this thing. He is completely complicit in this being a dumpster fire. He has to take a look at himself, just like everybody else does, mm -hmm. to try to get this thing back on track. So he made a decision to allow Pete D'Alessandro to pursue his plan, and, and they did that, but then they took it too far. They tried to trade DeMarcus Cousins. So, again, you, you bring up a couple of interesting things here. And, and number one... Um, I don't think we're ever going to know the full story, how everything, every single thing unfolded. We laid it out in a, in a previous podcast about as well as you can lay it out from start to finish. Uh, again, if someone wants to call some of that propaganda, they're absolutely just crazy. Hey, I mean, you don't bring a water pistol to a gunfight. Yeah. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, that. And you know what? You know what? I, I, I've heard it from fans and I've heard it, you know, on Twitter if you're going to you're going to take third hand knowledge and run with it as if it's 100% truthful and you're only going to take one side of third hand knowledge and run with it as if it's the 100% truth then you're not doing your job and that's that's really where it comes down to for me and there are a lot of people out there who who think they know what's going on who and even you know even when you're on the inside and and you're working you're there every single day and you know about as much about every situation as you can it's always skewed somebody is always giving you a side of the story and you have to you have to dig deeper than talking to an agent that's handed you information you have to dig deeper than that and for me that's that's where i really get frustrated with some of this stuff I mean, look, if you want to roast the Kings and call them the – say that they're cheap because they bring in a personal chef who's a nutritionist who makes grass-fed meals, you know, like full-fledged, high-end nutrition meals for your players, and you're going you're gonna to go out and roast the Kings in the public because they don't allow the assistant coaches to go and partake in those meals as well, look – your job is to get your players the right tools. Like if I've got an obese assistant coach, it's not my job to make sure that he's running on a treadmill or that he's eating right. 
I mean, to me, that was just like, it's one of those things that sticks out that that I just don't know how it makes it out there. And it's it's an embarrassing... And I'll also point this out, Aaron. First of all, the Keaton's coaching staff is like seven or eight people, but it's more than that because you have your training staff and also your basketball guys who are there uh, dribbling balls with guys and and passing and, and rebounding. So if you're going to open up this personal chef at, to to the basketball side, then maybe we're looking at going from 14, 15 players to like 30 or 40 people because that's how big it is. And I, I mean, I get that people are like, oh, well, that might be a little cheap. You know what? Six years I've been going to Sleep Train Arena. Never once have I paid for a meal. They supply food, and that's not the NBA norm anymore. You go down to Golden State, you have to pay 7 bucks for the media food. You go down to there, it ranges between 7 and $15 for food. You go to the final game of the season, they had 17,317 uh, tickets made. Hard you know, they. I think they're metal and plastic tickets, each individually labeled with the seat number for the appropriate seat. Every seat in the arena got a commemorative plastic, uh, you know, ticket that was awesome. A- and you're going to call them cheap? I- I'm confused. They've done a lot of things wrong. I haven't seen them being cheap. I mean... Yeah. Well, it, it, is was a, it was a hatchet piece is what it was. And I was a little shocked to see certain media say that it was a great, accurate piece because it wasn't. Um, <clears throat> with that said, you've got uh, that particular outlet and that particular writer have been writing the Pete D'Alessandro narrative for about 16 to 18 months. So that doesn't surprise me coming out of that particular outlet, that particular source. If you wanted to write the balanced column, you would say, they didn't charge, or pardon me, they charged coaches this for that, but they also do provide media with free meals, whereas other teams in, in basketball do not, because that would then be a relevant detail if we're measuring how cheap they are. Or if we're going to look around and see how many teams around the league actually have a personal nutritional chef there for their, their players, and then how many teams in the league actually allow anyone to eat from that personal chef, then, and you can back that up as this is something that's all over the league that, that the Kings are the only ones that do this, then I'm intrigued. Then they're, you know, maybe they're, they're a little too tight with their money. I'm just, I'm just baffled. I mean, they, it's not like they're trying to get up to the, yeah, they're not trying to get up to the salary floor. They're spending 70 plus million dollars on salary. Uh, you know, Portland had to trade for a player at the deadline just to get to the salary floor. I mean, right. Uh, what I was going to say is there's plenty of other targets for them to choose. If they want to make the Kings look silly, there's all sorts of targets. But that's the kind of stuff that's really bad. Like, you can't be writing that stuff and be taken seriously as a writer. Um, but that's the, that's the state of affairs with the Kings. And I'll even say this. I have yet to really see, you know, a lot of what's been put out there uh, line up with what we know the realities are down on the ground. So that tells me that it's coaching season and that, you know, people are people are putting out stuff, you know. It, 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 it's, it's wild. It's coaching season. It's coaching season. There's, there's a limited number of agents that represent these coaches. And so the messaging is very controlled by a smaller amount of people than normal. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's move back to the George stuff a little bit more. Uh, not to... 
not to completely defend. I mean, the Kings do things wrong all the time. I'm not, I mean, they've, they've stepped in it multiple times this year. I'm not going to say that they haven't. Uh, even, you know, the George Carl hire itself, uh, while I, I thought it was an interesting hire and I was probably on board initially, it went south so fast. And I'm just going to, when I look at this season as a whole, and I, I just wrote this for CSN, and I really break down where I think this went wrong. It's that George had a system, and that system was the end-all, be-all. And it, he didn't care who he was coaching. He was going to implement his system. And so while you have 10 new players all coming in trying to get together and form a cohesive unit, and then you throw a system at them that they've never seen before in their entire lives, outside of Costa Kufis, who had played for George Carl in the past— if you're going to send 10 new players and a team that doesn't know doesn't know each other into battle and have to relearn the game of basketball, something that they've done, how to how to guard the pick and roll that they've done since they're 12 years old, how to do all of these things that, that you basically learn as college players and junior high players and high school players, and then you're going to strip all of that away and you're going to implement something new. There had to be a point where George had to coach to his roster and to his situation. And to me, the biggest failure of George Carl isn't that the players didn't like him. It isn't that he didn't have enough voice to stand up and yell on the sidelines or that he had Chad Eski coach most of the practices or most of the games. It's that he was inflexible. It's that he tried to jam a square peg into a round hole for 82 games and it only worked in 33 games. That's where I really struggle with what George Carl did here. I think he he is a great coaching mind. He is a great basketball mind. You don't take a veteran team that's brand new put together and try to implement something that is absolutely unconventional and in many situations, wackadoodle to, uh, to use a good word. Yeah, if I was to put a different spin on it and, and defend George for a second, I thought bringing in Rajon Rondo was a terrible mistake because – he didn't execute George's vision in the way that George would have liked. He, he, he George pictures a free flowing offense with lots of um, quick decisions, you know, take it, do something, move it, that kind of a thing. And Rondo pounded the air out of the ball and will run his screen and roll the way he wants to run his screen and roll, which is unique because everybody in the league goes under on the screen and roll. So everything Rondo does has to be a reckless drive to the hoop because he has to hit the afterburners to be able to get to a place where he can be effective inside the paint. Um, but that said, you know, if you take that out of the equation, reasonable people can disagree on, on Rondo's value. Um, the other stuff, there's a list of maybe 10 basketball things that nobody in another market would have ever considered as an option that he did. And why he did those things, it really baffles me because I've always respected George Carl as a basketball mind, and it's astonishing to me that he could not see what was so easily easy to see everywhere else. I think he saw and, it. I think he's too stubborn to admit it. And, it, it, and maybe not that's that, it. But he wanted more time, more time, more time, more time to get them to change. I mean, that's what he even said at one point. He said, you know... This whole system that I'm doing, it, it doesn't come quickly. It may take a year. It's like, well, hey, man, in the it, 
you're going to waste a year of your career. You're 64 years old. You've survived cancer twice. Everyone knows the clock is ticking here. You don't have a year to waste. DeMarcus Cousins, next season, is 26. He's no longer 25. Rudy Gay just lost a year of his career. He's now 30 years old. He's looking at the clock saying, I'm running out of time. Rondo, 30 years old. I mean, you can't just throw away a year of basketball trying to implement something that is that's yours and no one else's and that's really again that is the failure in my book i wonder if he thought he could outlast demarcus cousins because if he could and demarcus gets traded then it's the rebuild there they could they could pitch george carl as okay well demarcus was the problem blah 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 and you could go out there and and run his system with players that might fit a little bit better he has the sack b on his side you know, they're out there running his narrative every single mm-hmm. day of the week, uh, at least out of their columns, that is. And, you know, that's a big deal for for a, uh, a local media scene is to have that kind of uh, cover for what you're doing. And if DeMarcus, you know, at late in a game when the, the Kings are up by 20 or probably down by 20 and he's frustrated, if he piles on the technical fouls like, you know, it's nobody's business and continues to help forward the narrative that he's not a guy you should be building around maybe maybe he gets lucky the kings trade demarcus cousins and they decide to keep him because it's it's cheaper to keep him than it is to get a new coach and you can also say hey you know maybe this will work with different personnel maybe but, that's what he was thinking because otherwise i don't see why you don't change like yeah you were one in keep- seven to start the season and cousins blew up at the at, after the san antonio game cousins had missed i think six of the, those games they're one in seven to start the season so he started the first game and then he pulled up with the calf injury and then he had another injury three games whatever it was uh one in seven george was told then that like you're done like, you need to shape up right now. They almost fired him eight games into the season. So at that point, why wouldn't you pull back and say, okay, you know what? I give. Let's try conventional. I'll start sneaking some of my other stuff back in. But let's try conventional because that's the fail-safe. That's what we all should go back to. And let's build from there and pick up some good wins. Start, And I can start integrating some of my stuff in slowly as the season goes on. But there it is he he refused to do it yeah i mean it's it fits his his profile his personality his mo um you never saw a bit of remorse through the season as far as the he made you know like i think we should have done this differently uh that never came that's interesting the remorse thing it is it's interesting to me that you say that because you're right he never once showed remorse or contrition I mean, he got himself into this, and he did nothing but blame, blame, blame the entire stretch. I, that's I mean, not leadership. That's yeah. not, and people don't understand, I guess, around the NBA world, you know, why this went so bad. Leadership, it starts at the top. Well, it starts with Vivek. It, it then goes down to Vlade, and then it goes down to George with the team. And if your leader isn't willing to own up to their bad ideas, why should anybody else? Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, so so we got a crazy thing happening now. Now it's it is it's all on Vladi Dibots. He's gotta figure out a way to to rebuild this team on the fly, to fix what's wrong and to move forward. He's got massive, massive decisions to make. 
Uh, we are still hearing that David Morway is in the wind. He, he's it's, he's right there. It might be a possibility. He might be signed at any time. We don't know yet. If he was if that was going to happen, I don't know why it didn't already happen. Um, but Vlade said he is going to start his coaching search as of Monday out of respect for George. He said he didn't even make a list of available candidates, which I'm sorry, Vlade, I don't believe that, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, but he is ready to walk into this this new summer. Do the Kings have a chance in hell of signing someone? Because for my book, let's just go through. I mean, uh, we already know that Sam Mitchell and Randy Whitman were fired. Uh, we've got interim coaches in Houston with Bickerstaff, who's done a nice job, uh, and with Oral Watson. Uh, we also have an interim in Brooklyn that's already, you know, he's out of the picture. Uh, it looks like Byron Scott may stay in L.A., but there's a good chance that that's all smoke and mirrors as well. Uh, Kurt Rambis in New York. Um, there's a possibility that the Pelicans make another change. There's a possibility that Jason Kidd is in trouble and gets whacked. There's a possibility that Brent Brown is is let go in uh, Philadelphia. So I, I, I just hit 10. 10 names, 10 teams that could potentially need a head coach. I think I can easily come up with 10, you know, guys who have been in the league and actually have had success in the league that could jump in. Well, maybe a one or two that haven't really got a frontline job. But do the Kings have a chance to sign an A-list, a B-list head coach, or is the chaos too much? Uh, A is a tough, I don't want to say A, because I think A is Tibbs and, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, Scotty Brown. Scotty Brooks. You can put him on that list. I won't. Wait, who did, did you say Brett Brown? Brett Brown. Absolutely. You have an A-list coach who's, who's won like 30 games over three years. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, who, I, who I like to say Phil, Phil Jackson or who, whoever everybody thinks the best coach is. If you stick him on that Philly team, he's not winning too many more games. No. Um, but... Yeah, no, Brett Brown's a good coach. I think he would I think he would be a great fit for the Sacramento Kings if they if they let him go, but I think they're going to be dumb and string him out. And I'm I fully expect uh, Mike D'Antoni to become the next coach there. Uh, th- that's very much like in the it's out there that that there's a good possibility of that that Brown will be out. I, I like him. I think he is a great young coach who can do a lot of good things, but his record is brutal. And to I'm take on that. but to take on that record to say we're fine with that. We're a team who hasn't won, who's won the thirty-three games. The Kings would be dumb not most. to do it. They would be dumb not to do it. I don't know. They, I'm, I could build an argument for Kevin McHale over him. I could build an yeah. argument for. I mean, can they land McHale? Here's the thing with Brooks. I don't know what 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 the end game is there. If you're talking about a guy that could get you over the top for a championship, I don't think he's that guy. If if you're talking about a guy that can let the inmates run the asylum, he's plenty good at that. Like, that's exactly what Oklahoma City's problem was for three, four years. And that's going to be a problem. He's going to have to tell a guy like DeMarcus Cousins no. And so Mm. is he going to be able to do that? I think he's good at reaching players, but I think he gives a little bit too much ground to his vets, to his guys to do that. Um, I think he's perfect for Minnesota because he already showed he could take two young superstars in the making and actually get them to their potential. And that's where we disagree. I think they're underdeveloped. I think that that's going to be the they're under- underdeveloped, but they're still top five players in the league. Yeah, I but mean, that's talent, man. That's these guys. They yeah. woke up and had that ability. 
Like, <laughs> they, they, their DNA constructed. A it's... lot of guys woke up and had that ability and never ever got there. Yeah, uh, but Kevin Durant looked great at Texas. Russell, or, or pardon me, um, yeah, U of T. Yeah, and, Kevin, and Russell Westbrook looked great at UCLA. And Billy Owens looked great at Syracuse, and so did John did Wallace. That. Come on, I'm a Warriors <laughs> fan. I know all about Billy Owens. All right. Um, no, point being though is they don't. They're not smart basketball players. Well, they're not. Like they make mistakes constantly, and the development over they, like they're underdeveloped basketball players. So, I'm not great with calling Brooks a great developmental coach. Like I think that Brooks has great experience, and what what concerned me was him on the pod with Zach Lowe. He didn't seem like a guy. He seemed a lot like George in that he was like, nah, you know, we played Perk all those minutes and it was a good idea, more or less. And that's really dangerous because Perk was in a minus 25 every game for them. You know, those aren't hard numbers, but when you looked at what he brought to the table during those games, you're like, oh, Perk just cost him another basket. Oh, yeah. Perk just cost him another basket. And it's it was about 25 points per game. Mm -hmm. it, it just completely anecdotally. And the reason why he did that is because Russ and Kevin wanted him on the floor. And that is dangerous when you're letting your players make the coaching decisions because you want to stay ingratiated with them. That's how it looks from the outside. That was the concern there. Now, maybe with his experience, he's grown into that or, or probably grown out of that. But now you're taking like, you know, DeMarcus Cousins compared to Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. You know, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook are, are walks in the park compared yeah. to coaching DeMarcus Cousins. So, so I guess here's my question, though. It, let's just say it's not Brooks. Um, is there a style? Okay, because I think one of the mistakes that Vlade made at his, at his press conference on Thursday was that he refused to say what type of coach he wanted. Um, do you, and also, he refuses to say whether or not that coach... I mean, you have to ask them in the interview process, can you coach DeMarcus Cousins or would you prefer he's not here? I mean, because we know, we know that George Carl didn't want DeMarcus here. But just so people remember, we also, we know that Michael Malone didn't want DeMarcus Cousins here either. He wanted him gone before he took the job. And he was willing to say, all right, I'll work with him and see what happens. And then, you know, lo and behold, he becomes, he befriends him and they, they figure it out. But is there a style or a type of coach that you would want to go to here? And and do you think Vlade made a mistake in not like really saying, well, I, I would like this style of coach? Because, I mean, all of these guys have a different type of – I mean, Thibodeau is a defensive master. Uh, Scotty Brooks, uh, you know, whatever he – an up-tempo guy, you know. Mike D'Antoni brought him up, and he's not on the list. But, you know, he – the seven-second seven second offense – and, you know, you have all these different styles. But what is it that you would like to see? I'd like somebody that doesn't believe in styles, that believes in coaching to your roster. I don't see why your, your style is so important. You know, you're an NBA coach. You should be able to coach all of the styles. That's, that, you know, that's, that's a good point. And, and I agree with you. I do. I, I think, though, that your style of leadership might be you know, that's definitely a variable. Everybody's got different styles there. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I mean, I don't know Mikhail's interest in the job, but to me as, as a, a big man, him being able to teach DeMarcus cousins post moves and understanding that the post is 
still very valuable even in today's NBA when you have a dominant post player. That is a very logical fit, and Mikhail is very good with people. He's good with players. So he's going to be a guy that I think the Kings should make a hard, hard run at. The question is, is, is he going to be willing to, to do that? Well, I, um, he's going to listen because he's 58, and the rumor is that he wants to get back in the game and that he's intrigued by the possibility of DeMarcus Cousins. And again, Kevin McHale, one of the greatest post players post as far as like in the pivot with moves players of all time. I mean, he is known as one of the greatest post interior post scorers, just crazy moves for a guy who who wasn't just built like I mean, he's not Shaq, he's not Hakeem. He wasn't built like those guys. And he uses a lot of the same footwork that DeMarcus is already using. But yes. a lot of people will say, well, we sucked at the post game this year. And that's because the Kings didn't work on it ever. They never practiced it. And they also never went to it. And it's something just like everything else. You have to get good at where you cut, where you stand, where you go. And then you have to, just like a running back in a football game, once they've got 10, 15 carries under their belt, that now they know how the defense is reacting. They're better. And so. I, I'm going to agree with you. What needs to happen here is they need to find the right personality to lead. That That's the most crucial point of this entire equation. It's do you have the personality? And I think even more than that, do you have the personality and the backdrop to support that? I mean, Kevin McHale has that. One of the positives with Brooks is he has that same, he has the right personality and that he can crack the jokes with the guys. Oh yeah. I love him. I I mean, I think he's a great dude. He, he can, he has the vibe. So the vibe can't be I'm a drill sergeant and I am also all empowering and I might go to my media friends every other day. It has to be the opposite of that. I'm one of you. I'm in the, I'm in the foxhole with you. I'm also somebody that you will respect because I've already earned that respect around the league, you know? So that's where a guy like Mikhail's really intriguing is because he's, he's respected everywhere. Let me and, let me throw my name out that uh, is really intriguing to me. But say Udoka. Yeah, Emmy Udoka. Uh, he is really really intriguing to me because I see the way that players respect him. I've seen it for a long time. When he was a player, he was respected. The last four years working with the San Antonio Spurs, I see him as a highly highly respected man who had to go through the D League, had to fight his way into the league, a little bit like a young Mario Ellie, but without the late success. So he doesn't have that, you know, well, I'm, you know, Mario Ellie, uh, which Mario Ellie did have. He's a good dude, but he had that a little bit of, you know, but this is, you know, I'm still a a name. You still know who I am. Where Emi Yudoka, I think he, he has the ear of so many people. I, I, he is so intriguing to me, especially the fact that he's been with Pop. I think Pop has generated some very good coaches, um, you like Brett Brown. I, I mean, I think the jury is still oh, way out on him. M- but Messina is another one. I think Messina would be the money hire. Um, but but I can you others. get Messina? Yeah, it, there's he's very he's a very popular name at this point. And is is he strong enough as a see? I don't. I don't. He's very nice too. I, I don't know how he works with the with players. He never played in the NBA. Um, you know, he is a coaching legend in Europe. He's got four world, four uh, European championships. But can he translate that at the next level, at the NBA level? Because 
Other guys you, have failed. You know who I'd love to see, and and I'm and I'm. This is this is my personal entertainment, and also because I'm rooting for her as Becky Hammond. I want to see her uh, as a head coach, like now, but I not as she, the Kings. Not but as not the as the Kings. That's yeah. the thing. I don't want her to to be subject to that. Just as I'm rooting for her, I don't want her to be. But I think she would be really intriguing and and have the ability to reach players and it to me would be a great social experiment i yeah. I, I just would love to see that but for her own sake i don't want her to have to go no. through that. hey I, if i'm just picking and choosing who who could possibly be available that i would love to have it's jeff van gundy i mean that's van gundy to me is one of the great defensive minds both the van gundy boys are are incredible defensive minds I think he is a phenomenal coach. I wish he was still in the game. But again, a guy who coached Patrick Ewing, a guy who coached Alonzo Mourning, a guy who coached, uh, well, he was in Houston. I mean, he's coached stars. He's coached big name players. He he knows how to use them. He knows how to use, uh, how to create a defensive scheme that works. I, I have a ton of respect for him, and I think he would be a great coach he's a little sarcastic but he's also militant in style you don't mess with him um but i i don't think he's coming out of the booth to to take on a king's team you know like this. you know what the, the salient point though i think is that's i don't know it's not that it's been underreported i just think that it's underdeveloped because we just got done with the season is that there are a lot of good coaching candidates out there i don't worry about the kings with their coaching because a they're coming off one of the worst coaching performances of the last 10 years anything will be an improvement and, yeah. and then when you factor in that coach gets that kind of a boost, you know, it's like the the, te- the teacher that comes in after the, the teacher that was hated leaves. Yeah. It doesn't matter what that teacher does. They're the best. And so you'll get that bump. But there are a lot of good coaching candidates out there. Dude, I think it's a they, ton, a ton. So if they get the bottom of the bottom, as long as they don't really mess it up somehow, then I think that they're going to be fine. But there's other things like free agency worries me way more than the coaching choice. And then upstairs, they have to, the the civil war has to end, but it has to end on terms that everybody can get behind. So those parties have to figure it out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we haven't even talked about Monty Williams. I mean, I don't, I don't love Vinny Del Negro as a coaching hire, but he is very, very interested and involved. Jeff Hornacek, has already thrown like the feelers are out there from the Hornacek group. I mean, these are and we we just named like seven other coaches. Like there are ten good coaches to go around. Now you could say, oh, they're retreads. I don't know. I mean, I think Vinny Del Negro has had some uh, some failures in or has left jobs that you know didn't go well. Like you know, even the Clippers job, he won fifty six games and they wiped him out and replaced him with. Um, with Doc Rivers. Another point I was going to make too is that the coaching staff, it has to be right this time as well. And that's something that I think, you know, nothing against the coaches that are there. I think they're very good developed guys. But again, I, I said this on the rise guys the other day, when I look over at the Clippers bench and they've got, uh, they've got Lawrence Frank, Mike Woodson, Sam Cassell, uh, Brennan, uh, O'Connor. I mean, their bench is stacked. I mean, if Doc Rivers had to take a leave of absence for a month, they've got coaches everywhere. I mean, again, Luke Walton should have a coaching job this offseason. I mean, there are a lot of good coaches. So I, I want to... We haven't see. even talked about some of the guys that are under the radar. Jay Laranega, if I could speak right. Yeah. 
I mean, it's so, yeah, again. Yeah, there's a ton. So I, I don't worry. You're right. I mean, people who are like, oh, no one wants to take that job. You know what, dude? That's just not true. There's only 30 jobs. If someone really wants to be a coach in the NBA, I think they'll they take went the job. For, if they went for like, this is the one danger sign, I would say, is if they go for a guy that, I don't want to use the term retread, but say that guy doesn't have something they can hang their hat on in the ability to to reach a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, like maybe a vanilla candidate that has, you know, not got the, the umph for that fight. Because that's going to be a fight. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a fight from the beginning, and it's going to continue until he either buys in or he doesn't. And that is going to be fluid. It's going to happen fast and the Kings don't have any days off. They nope. have to start that today and they got to get rid of all of their little fires and all their dumpster fires. They got to put them all out. It's a long-term process and it's not about this coaching thing. This yep. coaching thing is the least, least important thing. Just fly a Borade bomber right over the top of sleep train arena and release it and have it put out every fire in the building. Let's start fresh. Vlade Divac ready to start fresh. He's ready to build his team, to build his management staff, to build his coaching staff. He's very excited about that. You could see that on Thursday. So I think good things are in store. Aaron, do you have any quick final thoughts? Mm. Oh, congratulations to the Kings. You guys won the eighth slot in the draft lottery coin toss. The That's parade right. on J Street will be on Saturday. Make sure that you you wear sunscreen and don't have too much fun, Kings fans. I know this is huge. Just don't have too much fun. Hey, that took a lot, a lot of resting to get that eight spot. <laughs> they a were lot, better. They a, were better. <laughs> a lot of rest. <laughs> a serious thing real quick. The whole thing about, like, got to get rid of Carl in the last three weeks. Everything went as well as it could possibly go for the Kings. They got great uh, vibes going among the players. They played for each other. And then they they went out and they won a few games. And then they got the eight slot. Yeah. Best possible that could have happened to I think it was a positive note the way the season ended. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We will be back next week. We'll have a guest. We'll have all kinds of craziness. I'm shifting gears. I'm actually going to go cover the Warriors for a little while. I've got some visiting locker room duties and uh, some other stuff going on with CSN. And uh, the playoffs are upon us. The Sacramento Kings aren't in them, but the playoffs are here. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week. Have a good day.